Will you pray with me? O God, who shines a light into the world, we ask that you would shine a light among us as we hear these words, that your will and purpose might be known among us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may or may not have heard the beginning of this sermon already because if you were in worship on Sunday morning, January 26th, I began my sermon and then um, promptly realized that I had introduced into the printing of my sermon, my sermon again. Anyway, it was all awry and lots of chaos of papers everywhere. But um, the first sermon, I never thought I'd have a bloopers reel. The first sermon listed for this day is the sermon that was preached in the service. And um, at some point, I just gave up my manuscript and gave (laughs) an abridged version. Um, This is the sermon as it was prepared for Sunday morning. The term Christian is interesting because it is the name of the religion that has evolved since the time Jesus walked on earth. As we know, Jesus wasn't a Christian, he was a Jew, and Christ is a title that means the anointed one. In the Christian tradition, we proclaim the uniqueness of Jesus, but there are all kinds of contradictions that seem to be front and center in the tradition that we claim. There was a time when people would say, are you a Christian? And I would hesitate because the very ask suggested an expectation of things I wasn't certain of. The stories of Jesus proclaim a miracle birth, miracles of healing and impossibilities throughout his life, a death that wasn't death, and things I knew, like whatever my positions were on all those things, didn't matter because people who were clear on those things justified colonization and slavery. They supported violence through war. They were purists that seemed very clear about God's positions on gays and abortion and the death penalty, the means by which Jesus was killed. These Christians weren't very Christ-like. You may have seen the bumper sticker, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. It was attributed to Gandhi, but it's not really something he said. Somebody who makes bumper stickers said it. A more likely quote is attributed to Indian philosopher um, whose name is Bharadatta. The full quote from Dada appears to be from the mid-1920s. This is what is written. Jesus is ideal and wonderful, but you Christians, you are not like him. I didn't know of Bharadatta in my teens and 20s, but I kept sensing Christians were missing the point. So convicted of the anointing of Jesus, they seem to neglect the call he makes, which has nothing to do with most Christian proclamations. Jesus says time and again, follow me. I couldn't easily navigate this disconnect, so I decided to go to the basic request he seemed to proclaim. Follow me. It seems to be the most central, most vital part, and nothing else that has evolved since he walked the earth is equal in importance. My friend Brian Sergio sings a song that documents 87 times he says, follow me. Am I following in Jesus or just believing in Christ, he sings, because I can believe and not change a thing, but following will change my whole life. He never said, come acknowledge my existence or believe in me. I'm the second person of the Trinity. But 87 times he said, follow me. It's a big ask, particularly since we can believe and not change a thing. So these days when I'm asked if I am a Christian, I often reply, I am a follower of Jesus. And yes, it is deeply concerning to me that there are many Christians who call themselves believers and never change a thing. 
folks who look out at the world and say God would be okay with the order of things. Economic systems that exploit the most vulnerable, corruption in our political systems, histories of massive human failures wrapped in our religious texts. Today's texts reference a time of empire. Truth be told, I'm not sure there ever was a time when the empire wasn't in full force. The Bible seems to tell story after story of power and greed, injustice and oppression. Specifically, the time of Jesus was in the midst of the Roman Empire. And in that time, today's gospel story is told where Jesus references the Isaiah text that speaks to a moment in the history of the Israelites when they are under Assyrian occupation. Isaiah is proclaiming a messianic descendant of David who will shine light in the darkness they face. And when Matthew quotes Isaiah, he seems to be speaking of the one we follow, Jesus. John the Baptist is imprisoned, and that means John's ministry is in peril. Turns out Herod wasn't a fan of John. John will ultimately see his demise at the hands of Herod. But in this text, Jesus retreats to Galilee because the other rabble-rouser he traveled with, his cousin, has been imprisoned. He could have sulked into the carpentry business, said things will never change, but that is not the path he chooses. Instead, he takes over the ministry of John. He heads out to the sea where the people are, and he invites other people to the mission. He sees Simon and Peter, and he calls them, follow me, he says, and they drop their nets, and they do. Then he sees James and his brother John. They were mending their nets and with their dad. We never hear Jesus say, follow me to them. But the brothers drop their nets, leave their father, father, and they follow Jesus. This is it. The life of the one we follow. He's the guy who picks up the movement after his cousin can't. He goes back to his roots and gathers some friends for the journey, and they go out for healing and hope. They cure sickness, mental, emotional, physical. They preach the good news. The text, it says, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. Every disease and every sickness. That's white supremacy and misogyny. That's broken hearts that deep dive into depression. That's anger and frustration. That's greed and disregard for others. The power of God moves in human form that is the truth of incarnation. It moved through Jesus, and it moves in us when we follow in his ways. Recently, I received an invitation from Phyllis Utley. She's a community leader and co-creator who does equity work in a group I attend here in Asheville. It was for a learning circle that looked at community land trusts and real estate collectives. I have an interest in the things that have not yet been imagined and an awareness that I don't understand so very much. So I look for ways to gain understanding and more fully imagine future possibilities. I often do that when thinking about the building that is 15 Overbrook Place. I asked Elizabeth Eve to head down the mountain to Old Fort and attend the circle. It was hosted by the Mutual Aid Society of Western North Carolina. We listened to a presentation from a lawyer from Charleston about legal configurations for collective groups. None seemed to exactly provide what this piece of property would need to hold greater collaborative interests. Now, it may just be that the best legal entity to hold our collaborative dreams is church, but that's not a given, especially because then it feels like the work of the church becomes a building and not partnership, 
with other visionaries helping to bring forth a world that lives justly, loves abundantly, and walks humbly in the ways of Jesus. Now, we were the only church there, but the imagination behind the varied projects were steeped in a way of being that is undoubtedly just and generous, and in that way more akin to following Jesus, Jesus than much of what we exist in and struggle with or benefit from. There were women of color dreaming of just farming practices for their community, an Episcopal priest seeking to better imagine eco-farming, folks closely aligned with today's justice movement, where there were were, um, were there speaking about the collective communities and protection of land in Buncombe County. Another guy wanted to get together a mechanism to share tractors and big farm machines. Someone else had purchased land for education learning and shared living but didn't know how to. At one point, he stood up and said, I wonder if there are folks who want to talk about liberating land. My ears perked up. Liberating land, yes. That's an interesting way to think about it. Elizabeth and I both believe we received limited information that is helpful to us. But we also both agreed there were beautiful souls in that room seeking a new way, tapping into collective imagination, dreaming of a world that has been not is um, dreaming of a world where what has been is not what is required. It's hard when all we've ever known is the economic and political systems that we operate in. We participate in unjust realities and our choices every day. The work isn't how to become perfect, it's how to do better. It's constantly seeking to make choices that heal, not harm. It's having an awareness of how our current systems and living harm so many and opting into more just and generous ways. Most of us aren't ready to move to a commune. I know some of you are, but for the rest of us, the question becomes how we live in the world, but not of the world. One of the critical ways that happens is a healthy Jesus-following church. Much like the existing legal structures we heard about at the mutual aid meeting, often there are existing ways of being that work. Church can be that, but church needs each one of us. It needs our regular participation. It needs the hands and the hearts and the sharing of all who come to it. Church should be countercultural. It should offer a way of being that proclaims a different hope and possibility for all of our days. In church, you should be inspired to follow in the ways of Jesus. Follow me, he says. Follow me. It's actually a simple directive, but sometimes it feels really complicated, like IKEA instructions. You could do it alone, but why would you? It's the greatest and the best ask. Follow me. Because when we do, when we follow in the ways of Jesus, a light, it shines in the darkness and the darkness shall not overcome it. Amen.